Hello, I'm John Rossi, a touring drummer with a love of all things animal. When I'm on the road, I visit as many zoos, aquariums... Hey, wait a minute. What's going on? Hey, what's going on there? Hello? Hello? We interrupt your regularly scheduled program to bring you Rossafari Zoo News. News you can use from the world of zoos and conservation. Every week, we bring you breaking news and analysis from around the globe, featuring the animals you love and the people who care for them. And here's your anchorman, John Rossi. Hi, what's up? Hey now, welcome to the Rossafari podcast and our weekly zoo news episode. For those of you who don't know, this is when we take the time to look at what's going on in the world of zoos and aquariums and animal conservation and cool animal stuff as a bit of a newscast and just kind of talk through some of the stories uh, from this last week or two. So, um, Happy that you're here. Excited to have you with me. Uh, as always, I am John Rossi, your host, and uh, I am I'm here to take you through these stories this week. So uh, it's going to be a good time. Uh, speaking of a good time, um, you know, I, I like to think that this podcast does a lot to help educate the people who listen to it. And uh, normally it's about animals, but every once in a while we've got to got to go into the realm of the other parts of the world. And, uh, you know, today I think it's important that I talk to you about a very uh, important part of the non-animal world, something that I think most of us can agree is is really, I don't know, just just important to understand and, and be knowledgeable about uh, today in, in these times. I'm not talking about COVID. I'm not talking about the situation in Ukraine or anything going on with the Supreme Court right now, although all of those things are scary as hell. In fact, what I'm talking about is pizza. Uh, yeah, pizza. Did you know that there is a buffalo-style pizza? Now, I'm not talking about buffalo chicken style, although I do love me a good buffalo chicken slice, but I am talking about like how there's New York style pizza and Chicago style pizza. There is a buffalo style pizza. Now, interestingly, um, Buffalo is not as identified with its pizza as other places are, but uh, it is definitely getting more popular with Travel and Leisure recently naming Buffalo one of America's favorite cities for pizza. Um, so what a buffalo style pizza is, is a very specific thing. It features a slim, uh, sometimes non-existent crust coastline, meaning that the ingredients actually go out to and often over the edges of the crust. The crust itself is a thick and airy crust with, uh, very little structural, uh, integrity. It's definitely a thicker crust, but it's not as hard and as uh, firm, let's say, as a crust, you know, for a normal, like, thicker crust pizza. Um, and then the sauce is a sweeter sauce than you will normally have on a lot of pizzas. And um, even though they call it normal cheese, it would be what most places call extra cheese. So yeah, it's very recognizable, but it's also very much its own thing. And one thing that uh, happens a lot now, I'm not saying that you have to order it this way, but to be what a lot of people consider a true Buffalo-style pizza, you have to get it with pepperoni. And the trick here is you're not 
talking about the the big floppy pepperoni, okay? It's a very specific thing that they do where they get spicy pepperoni and they are very small slices that cup upwards. They're like little cups of pepperoni. And then if you cook them just right, you get a char right around the edges. And you put all of that together and that is a buffalo style pizza. And now you know that that exists. On a completely unrelated note, um, I'm only telling you this because, I mean, it's obviously very important that we all educate ourselves on things. Uh, But also, I I did happen to have Buffalo-style pizza for the first time tonight, and it was fantastic. Uh, The place where this was started was Bocce Club Pizza back in 1946 in Buffalo, and I actually got to have some Bocce Club pizza tonight, and it was amazing. So yeah, I just I just really had to share that with you because honestly, before starting to spend a lot of time in Buffalo and before Zoe moved up here, I didn't even know that there was such a thing as Buffalo style pizza. And now I do. And now I've eaten it. And it's amazing. So I had to share that knowledge with y'all because uh, that's just the kind of guy I am. And I can still taste it as I record this. Anyway, let's listen to an ad that isn't what I just did, which was basically a five-minute ad for Buffalo-style pizza. Today's episode is brought to you by Daydreamers Studios. Do you have stories and expertise to share with the world? Have you ever thought about starting your own podcasts? There's no better time to start than now with the help of a trusted production partner. Daydreamer Studios is a full-service production company that takes all the stress off your plate. You can focus on creating engaging content while they focus on recording, editing, audio engineering, hosting, and publishing on 22 platforms. Log into the advanced remote system with one click and the Daydreamer team will be on the other end ready for you to record everything you have to say. Owned and operated by Daydreamer Network, Daydreamer Studios continues on the company's mission to empower storytellers of all kinds by making podcasting accessible to all. For more information and current promotions, visit daydreamernetwork.com studios. All right. So quick reminder, uh, this is a crowdsourced news program. So if you happen to see any stories that might fit this show, feel free to tag me in them on Instagram, Facebook or Twitter at Ross Safari on TikTok at Ross Safari pod or email them to me, rossafaripod at gmail.com. You can also DM me at any of those places. It all works. And then I'll read your name at the end of the episode. Yay! So uh, don't forget to do that and follow all those places and hit subscribe on this thing and do all the things that you're supposed to do that I'm supposed to stay at the start of every podcast. But I find them boring, so sometimes I skip them and I assume that you appreciate that. Who knows? Anyway, let's get to it. Two, three, four. Ow, oh, there's a funky monkey, tree kangaroo, or a binturong. It's news, yeah. All right, so we start off this week's pizza news with a pizza about pizza. Sorry, I'm, I'm kidding, I'm kidding, I'm kidding. Okay, so let's get to it. The first story of the week um, is interesting for, for, for a very specific reason. Okay, so you may remember that uh, the Naples Zoo recently had a situation where one of their tigers was put down by a police officer because a member of a external hire cleaning crew decided to 
reach into the tiger enclosure. And um, it was definitely a sad story, and it was definitely a bad look for the dude involved, but the Naples Zoo was cleared of all wrongdoing with the AZA and with the police and all that stuff. Everything that they had was correct, and this person was just determined to get to the tiger and thus did so. Well, it turns out that uh, this year is the reaccreditation for the AZA membership of the Naples Zoo, and the zoo was granted reaccreditation. So um, I just think that's really cool and really interesting because it proves that the AZA really does stand behind their decision that uh, Naples did nothing wrong. They followed all procedures and that that tragic story, while it was tragic and sad and should not have happened, was truly not the fault of the zoos. And, uh, you know, in light of what's happened with Columbus being denied accreditation this year, uh, which I know, you know, there are different people that have different opinions on, but I think was a bit harsh. Uh, but I thought it was really interesting to see that they stood by Naples with this. Um, it, it's cool that you don't have to worry about just a bad situation of being in the news during your reaccreditation process means that you're definitely not going to get reaccredited. So congrats to all of our friends at Naples and uh, also nice work by the AZA. Y- y'all did the right thing. Woodland Park Zoo has apparently decided that they really, really, really want me to move across the country and go visit them starting in, oh, I don't know, say 2026. I assume that's what's going on anyway, because uh, Woodland Park Zoo has announced that they will be opening a new exhibit called Forests for All. They say, we need forests, and now, with the health of the world's forests at risk, forests need us. Only when forests thrive can nature reach its full potential as a climate solution. The new experience will build on our global conservation work, motivate guests to act to conserve forest habitats, and feature vulnerable and endangered animals representing forests of the world, including tree kangaroos, much-adored red pandas, colorful birds, and fascinating reptiles and invertebrates. Y'all. Woodland Park Zoo is opening a new exhibit that is going to feature tree kangaroos and red pandas. Y'all, I gotta go to Seattle in 2026. So um, if anybody knows of any places that will need a drummer in 2026 in Seattle, please let me know now. But seriously, I'm so excited. I think this is such a great idea for an exhibit because of all the crap they said about forests, but also mostly tree kangaroos and red pandas. I really wasn't paying attention to the rest. No, no, I'm kidding. Um, I, I love how educational this is and how much thought has gone into this new exhibit that is going to feature red pandas and tree kangaroos. I'm so excited. Henry Villas Zoo recently announced that Chelsea, a critically endangered 31-year-old Bornean orangutan, is pregnant, which is really exciting. The baby watch is expected to begin on May 22nd and could go for a couple weeks from there. And the zoo is really leaning into this. Uh, They are holding a baby shower for Chelsea and will be giving uh, baby shower themed enrichment. Guests will also have opportunities to hear from care staff about how the uh, the staff is supporting Chelsea during the pregnancy. And um, they are also telling people out there that if you would like to help them out, you can go to henryvillaszoo.gov slash baby. 
they set up a way to donate there and also a wish list where you can purchase things like teething toys and even Pedialyte. It's kind of funny how all primate babies, including human ones, need certain things that are that are the same. So if you want to go and make a difference in the life of a baby orangutan, again, that's henryvillaszoo.gov slash baby. Congratulations to Erica Kohler, who has been named the executive director of the San Diego Zoo and is only the second woman to hold that post in the 106-year history of the zoo. Erica has been at the zoo for the past seven years as the zoo's director of operations. And during that time, she has done a bunch of incredible work. She was in charge of managing the closures and reopenings in 2020 because of coronavirus and also was in charge of opening the new habitats during this time. Uh, which include Africa Rocks, which is one of the most amazing exhibits at any zoo ever, and Wildlife Explorers Base Camp, which you recently got to hear all about, the newest exhibit that just opened at the San Diego Zoo that is so next level that it's kind of Disneyland or Disney World, but with animals and education, and it's just... Amazing. And so the fact that this this person has been in charge of all of these things that I love so much for the last seven years and now has been promoted to be the executive director of the zoo is really, really good news. Congrats to Erica. And I look forward to all of the amazing work that you will accomplish in this new position. And speaking of cool new hires at big, awesome facilities that I love, Angel L. Mumma has been named the new Senior Vice President of Finance for the Columbus Zoo Family of Parks. Uh, This includes the Columbus Zoo, Safari Golf Club, The Wilds, and Zumbezi Bay, which is the water park that's at the zoo that I never, ever go to because why would I not spend all my time at the zoo being, you know, at the zoo? In this new position, Mama will oversee the full range of accounting, finance, and investment management functions at all of the places that I just mentioned, and will also provide strategic recommendations to enhance the financial performance and business opportunities of the organization, according to the Columbus Zoo, because you know I wouldn't have said it like that. Anyway, this is really exciting because, as you all know, There was some financial malfeasance under the previous team leading to some of the issues that the zoo is facing with the AZA right now. And while those people are gone and money is being paid back and all that stuff, it's really good to see this new person in this position ready to roll. Uh, She has an amazing background, a great history, and I think this is going to help clean up any lingering doubts about the Columbus Zoo moving forward for the AZA and anyone who thinks that maybe they are a problematic institution, which does not include me. So congratulations to everyone there. This is such a great step in the right direction. Okay, so I need to preface this next story, which is a sad one, by telling y'all that because of my schedule this week, I am recording Zoo News fairly early. It is Tuesday right now, and this episode won't drop until Friday. If this story gets updated, I will try to jump back in and update it, but depending on what my days are, I might not be able to. So if this has been resolved, and I really hope it has, then uh, I apologize for the old news. On Friday of last week... Officials at the Detroit Zoo shared the first photo of a five-month-old wallaby joey that had just started leaving its mother's pouch. It was the official birth announcement of this incredible joey. 
And sadly, just two days later, the zoo officials said that the baby is missing and they don't know where it is, which I didn't really have to say like that because it's that's what missing means. Yeah. But anyway, uh, trying to use levity to to take some of the sting out of this. But it's it's just a really sad story. Now, the Detroit Zoo has a lot of cameras, both in exhibits and um, trail cameras and surveillance cameras all around the zoo. But unfortunately, uh, none of those have shown any signs yet. And although the Joey is independent enough to get out of the pouch from time to time, uh, it's usually for very small amounts of time. And it's highly unlikely that the Joey would survive an extended period away from the mother. So this is this is a bleak story, y'all. The latest update as of when I'm recording this is that the zoo believes that the wallaby is gone and that native predators such as owls and hawks that live near the zoo were probably involved and uh, by being able to fly away with said joey, uh, there is no evidence left behind. So while we can all hope for something miraculous to happen, most likely this was a uh, unfortunately lost animal uh, right after they announced it. And uh, my sympathies go out to the entire staff at the Detroit Zoo, which is another just really amazing facility. This just uh, goes to show that, you know, these things happen from time to time, even at the best places. And uh, you do what you can to protect the animals, but there's no way that you can stop every predator all the time whether it's the national zoo and the flamingos last week or this wallaby joey this week um these things happen it's it's a shame but on a significantly happier note uh sea life aquarium in arizona has officially become aza accredited and now this is the second time that i'm doing a story about a facility becoming accredited and i i often don't make a big deal about that every time that it happens uh, there are, you know, a good number of accredited zoos, and we have more important things to talk about sometimes. But uh, I thought this one was noteworthy because Sea Life is a brand of aquariums that you will often find in malls. They go into malls and they put in an aquarium. And they're usually really good, and many of them are AZA accredited. And I just wanted to point that out because the idea of a mall aquarium is not ideal. I remember the first time I saw one, I think I was right outside of Dallas, if I remember correctly, and I saw that there was an aquarium in this mall, and I was like, oh my gosh, who who do I who do I call about this? This can't be good. This can't be legal. And then I saw accredited by the AZA and I was like, oh my goodness. And I went in and I had the best time. May have gotten to meet some baby capybaras, y'all. Maybe. I don't know. But anyway, it was really cool. Um, and so, yeah. So I just wanted to point that out. Now, I will also say that there are plenty of um, small petting zoos and aquariums in malls around this country that are not accredited and are roadside zoo style things. And, you know, you still have to be careful, but uh, don't just assume that because there is an aquarium in a mall that it's a bad place. This week, the AZA hosted their third and final webinar about their new DEAI initiatives. DEAI is an acronym just like everything else in this industry, that stands for Diversity, Equity, Access, and Inclusivity. And uh, as much as I, you know, laugh about 
acronyms in this industry. This is actually a global acronym. A lot of companies are worrying about these things at, at this point. So the AZA has really gone into a very in-depth analysis of their DEAI efforts with their their zoos. And um, it is a three-part series that you can register and watch all parts of online at aza.org slash webinars. And I think it's really cool, especially that the three-part series doesn't just talk about their efforts, but they talk about monitoring and measuring progress towards goals in these areas, something that I sometimes think is lacking when companies look at these issues. So uh, props to the AZA. That's, that's pretty cool. Point Defiance Zoo recently announced the humane euthanasia of their beloved polar bear, Blizzard. Now, Blizzard was a geriatric bear who lived well past median expectancy, um, but, you know, unfortunately, he started to show signs of declining health, and so they had to uh, make the tough decision to euthanize him. And, you know, whenever a polar bear passes away in this country, I see a lot of people ask about when their zoo will get the next one or or what the plans are. And um so I don't I don't know if I've talked about this on here or not, but um the the federal government has some really strict rules about bringing polar bears into the country, basically saying that you can't even if they're rescues, even if they can't be re-released, even if you could save their lives. So we're dealing with a very elderly and dwindling population of polar bears in the United States zoo community. So every loss is is really tragic. And, um, you know, the Cincinnati Zoo recently lost their last polar bear, again, geriatric, and uh, have now moved on from the polar bear exhibit entirely. That happened a few years ago at Philadelphia, and it's now an amazing penguin exhibit. But when Goldilocks died there, uh, there, there's no chance of getting another polar bear to replace her. So um, they had to move on. And, and I'm not entirely sure what will happen at Point Defiance. There are still polar bears in, in the country, obviously. But um, yeah, it's just something that I think zoo fans need to be aware of. Polar bears are going to be harder and harder to see in zoos moving forward. But to end the zoo news segment on a not quite so sad note, um, the Orange County Zoo is opening a new large mammal exhibit, and uh, they've started posting some videos and stuff behind the scenes, and it is gorgeous, y'all. And a big focus on the exhibit is going to be mountain lions, specifically California mountain lions who are not able to be re-released for a variety of reasons and thus would not be able to continue living if they didn't have an awesome home. And it just so turns out that the OC Zoo is not only going to give them an awesome home, but really went to town building some amazing exhibits. They've got walkways above where people can can look up and see them, and the, the cats can cross from exhibit to exhibit over the, the walkways, and they've got waterfalls and all kinds of cool, very naturalistic stuff. It's an amazing exhibit exhibit design. And I am so excited not only for the zoo, but for the cats that um, really wouldn't have a chance at life if it wasn't for the zoo. And instead, we'll get to have the most amazing life. And now it's time for Stereotypical Animal Podcast Theme Song. 
conservation news. Would it even be conservation news if we didn't talk about red wolves? Well, yeah, it would. But still, uh, the North Carolina Zoo, so okay, I could have put this in Zoo News, but that was heavy in this section's light, uh, recently announced the birth of a trio of red wolf pups. All three are male. And because of the needs in the wild population and the breeding populations and everything right now, all three are going to stay behind the scenes at the zoo as part of the breeding program. So while this isn't as exciting as the Akron pups that got to go out into the wild, it's still really important and actually really darn exciting. So congrats to the North Carolina Zoo and everyone involved with the Red Wolf Recovery Program. I'm so excited! SeaWorld was recently able to rescue a humpback whale that was snarled in fishing line off the coast of San Diego. And honestly, the truth is, that's actually not that big of a news story. I mean, it's a huge deal that they saved a humpback whale, and it's also a ridiculously scary and huge deal to realize that um, a humpback whale could get entangled in fishing line because of how much of that crap is out in the ocean causing damage to the life that lives out there right now. Uh, in this case, the fishing line actually got caught in the whale's mouth and around one of its flippers and tails with fishing equipment dragging below it and pulling down on the whale. Blah. Just makes me sick. But anyway, the reason I say it's not a huge story is because SeaWorld does this stuff all the time. When I saw a injured sea lion at La Jolla Cove, I called a, a number that was on a sign there that said, like, if you see any injured sea lions, call us. And it was SeaWorld. And I know I've talked about this on here before, but just real quick, not only did they go out to, like, check on the situation, but they also called me back with an update. That's insane. That's so cool. And I just, uh, I get so mad that SeaWorld, still amongst some people, has a bad reputation because of the movie Blackfish, which has been largely discredited. And um, really, they're just out there doing so good. So, yeah, when you think of SeaWorld and Whale, instead of thinking, ooh, bad captivity or blackfish or whatever, think, hey, that's the organization that just saved a humpback whale in the wild because they do that kind of crap all the time. And now for some exciting and hopeful news about elephants in Kenya. There is a very unlikely chance for elephant twins to survive in the wild because of the tough conditions out in the wild in Africa and um, especially because mother's milk is oftentimes not strong enough in elephants to take care of twins. But in the case of a mother named Bora at Samburu National Reserve in Kenya... The mom's doing amazing parenting, and both twins are currently thriving. This is especially noteworthy as Kenya has been going through a horrible drought at this time. Now, this is still early days. The elephant babies are about four months old, and in general, elephants don't wean until they're two years old. So still a lot of work for Bora and the twins to do to keep everyone alive. But the fact that they've made it this long and seem to be doing very well 
is just amazing. So I just, I love this message of hope, you know? I think we all need that from time to time. And, you know, as amazing as human conservation stuff is, it's kind of cool to hear about a story of an animal just doing something cool like that. There have been six new species of miniature frogs discovered in Mexico and Guatemala recently, and each of them is so small that they can fit comfortably on a human thumbnail. In fact, the smallest species, which is now Mexico's smallest frog, measures no more than one half inch. Even more interesting than their size, the frogs actually are known as direct developing frogs, which means that they don't undergo a tadpole stage as part of their life cycle. They hatch from eggs as miniature versions of their adult forms, which is extra adorable when you consider how miniature their adult forms are. Scientists are working to study the species in question, but because of the newness of the discovery of the species and because of their tiny little sizes, uh, there's very little known about their reproduction, their life history, and their behavior. In fact, um, no one has ever actually seen one of these frogs hatch. They just know that they hatch as little froglings. In fact, scientists had found examples of these frogs years and years ago and froze them, but they were so small and we didn't really have the tech to figure out what was going on with them that it was assumed that they were all just this one kind of species of tiny frog, and it was only recently that DNA testing was done on those frozen specimens where they found out that it was six distinct species, and then they were able to go out into the wild and start to find and study them. So lots of cool, interesting stuff going Going on with these little tiny frogs. And now. It's time for other news. It's time for other news. Hey, no, right now, right now, it's time. It's time for other news. Hey, it's a segue to the park on other news. It has recently been discovered that the greater mouse-eared bat mimics the intense buzz of an angry hornet whenever it is attacked by predators and thus convinces them that there is a scary hornet around and thus they should leave. This is the first known example of a mammal mimicking an insect to gain protection from a predator, in this case owls or other similar birds of prey. In fact, it's quite possible that this is the first example ever of an animal using acoustic mimicry rather than mimicking the looks of another species to scare away their predators. The authors of the study that discovered this believe that other bats use the same tactic, although they have not been able to prove it yet. But it may be more than just the greater mouse-eared bat that does this. Such a cool example of how awesome nature is. And from buzzing bats to buzzed primates, a new study is trying to figure out if monkeys get drunk, and if so, if it explains why humans enjoy doing so as well. New research shows that spider monkeys routinely consume fermenting fruit, backing up the notion that humans inherited our love of alcohol from primate ancestors. This is something that is so well known amongst geneticists and biologists that it is called the drunken monkey hypothesis. 
We've actually known for quite a while that non-human primates enjoy alcohol. Um, chimpanzees have been known to raid stalks of palm wine brewed by villagers, and vervet monkeys in the Caribbean are famous for stealing alcoholic drinks from bars. This new study, however, is the first to demonstrate that wild primates also enjoy getting a little tipsy in their uh, natural habitat and as part of their natural diet without stealing it from drunken humans. Interestingly enough, the monkeys are not just into it for fun, but um, the presence of breakdown products of alcohol in their urine demonstrates that they are gaining a calorific benefit from imbibing in the booze. In other words, yes, even wild primates get beer bellies. However, because their diets are so much harder to come by and because they need more calories because of how much they move because they're not sitting at an office desk, they don't actually get bloated or heavy from drinking the booze, so to speak. Um, it just adds to their caloric intake that they need to stay alive and keep swinging. Now, you may be asking yourself, well, how drunk do these monkeys get? Uh, in the 15 months of observation that was done in the study, it seemed that they would basically have the equivalent of a very weak beer every day. That said, occasionally they do actually get schwasty. In the study observation period, again, it was 15 months, twice the scientists involved saw the monkeys get drunk, like drunk. We are talking about vomiting and falling out of the trees, y'all. So really, it's not just humans that have this problem. And while I don't know if this proves the drunken monkey hypothesis, it definitely does seem like we may have learned to get wild in the wild. So here's your friendly reminder that May is National Lake Cleanup Month and National Duckling Month. Starting on Sunday the 15th, we will officially be launching Bear Awareness Week. So make sure that you are aware of bears that week. And now for the individual days, Friday the 13th is Friday the 13th, so try not to get Killed by a murderer in your dreams? That's probably an old movie reference for some of you. But anyway, uh, it's also Frog Jumping Day. And to clarify, that means it's a day where we celebrate frogs jumping. It doesn't mean that you should, like, jump a frog and steal its wallet. Um, the 14th is... World Migratory Bird Day, but no one cares about that at all because it's also World Binturong Day. Woo! I think it's kind of funny that that's actually the day before um, Bear Awareness Week since they're often called bear cats. But also it's just an awesome day and I look forward to celebrating it all day. Then let's see here. On the 16th, which is Monday, we've got International Sun Bear Day. And also National Sea Monkey Day, which is kind of adorable. And that's it for the whole week. So there you go. Those are your animal holidays for the week. Yeah. 
And just like that, another week of Zoo News is in the books. I hope you all enjoyed this one. I certainly did. And I'd like to say thanks to Laura Shank, my Red Panda level patron, and also to everyone who contributed to this week's episode. And admittedly, a couple of you last week's, but I had already recorded when you sent me stuff. So those people are Anya Keen, Colleen Lenahan. Kim Cooley, Dr. Ann Money, Michael Sebastian, Peter Oilo, Dylan Hoy, Megan Barrett, Marianne Rossi, and Liz Dunlevy. Thank you all so much for your continuing contributions to Rasafari Zoo News. Also, I have a slight confession for y'all. In this spot, I normally try to tell you who the next episode is going to be, upcoming on Tuesday, and I lied last week. Okay, it wasn't as malicious as all that. Um, I thought it was time for our next adventure aquarium episode, and I was wrong. I was a month ahead. And so uh, last Tuesday, you got to hear from Mara Rodriguez of America's Teaching Zoo. And this upcoming Tuesday, you're going to hear three mini-interviews, interviews as I like to call them, with current students at the zoo that are learning to be zookeepers. There are some really cool insights and some really funny stories in there. So uh, I hope you all tune in. And hey, remember, friends, until next time, it's important to keep in your mind at all times that the words Newsy Credits Backwards are Steiderk Yeswen. The Rossafari Podcast is produced, hosted, and engineered by John Rossi. Editing and fact-checking by John and Dr. Zoe Vesley-Gross. Our theme song is Sevens by Nathan Burke, performed by Nathan and John. Interrupting John theme and additional voices by Taylor Isaac Gray. You can reach John directly on Instagram and Facebook at Rossafari or by email at rossafaripod at gmail.com. Rossafari is part of the Daydreamer Media Network. Now, stop listening to me and go visit a zoo.